and we're live with Entrepreneur's Handbook. Today we have with us Ali Tajsekunda, who's the CEO and founder of Wishpond. They're an all-in-one marketing platform for small businesses. Ali's grown the company significantly since founding it in 2009, and they've used acquisitions along the way to grow to the state they are in today. Ali shows and talk today about acquisitions and how you can use it to scale your company faster. Ali, can you tell us why acquisitions are so important to you? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, so, uh, you know, we started back in 2009 and, and the business obviously has had some iterations and pivots along the way. But uh, about, you know, December of 2020 was when we went public on uh, TSX Venture Exchange in Canada. And our revenue when we went public was $7.9 million. So let's say $8 million. And all of that was through growth, organic growth, no acquisitions, building the product over you know 10 years, marketing and all of those things. And then from then to now, about two and a half years later, we've grown to like 22, 23 million revenue run rate, like three times larger. And this, well, you know, we're still growing at that about you know 30% organic growth yearly. But the fact that we grew three times in two and a half years was because we did acquisitions. And the acquisitions have been very important for us because not only did they give, give us uh, revenue growth, but they made our product suite a lot stronger, right? You know, um, we've made six acquisitions. And before that, we're an all-in-one marketing platform for small businesses. But before that, we didn't have referral marketing components. We didn't have text message marketing. We didn't have um, outbound sales, uh, outreach campaigns. We didn't have... You know, a lot of these components that are actually quite critical in the marketing funnel. And for us to have worked on developing them would have taken a lot of time and they would have probably been quite thin. And they, you know, for example, let's say viral loose, one of the acquisitions we made is referral marketing. They've been at it for more than 10 years. It's, it's a well-known name. They, they work with a lot of really uh, important and well-known brands. They've ironed out all the kinks. And when we acquire them, obviously, now we can leapfrog competition who's trying to uh, build those functionalities and bring that to, to market faster. Um, so so that, that's the reason that it uh, does does matter if you do it right and if you're looking at it the right way and you don't overpay. Yeah, and it's interesting there as well, you mentioned about the IPO too, because obviously very impressive and it's like really great that you've got to that stage. And you chose to do that rather than take on like, venture capital funding or something like that too could you talk about like why you chose to ipa when you did it's a question i get a lot actually i think there's nothing wrong with any of those paths but uh, in our case the reason that i thought ipo or in our case really reverse takeover in canada makes more sense is that we did want to grow through acquisitions and if you want to grow through acquisitions generally vcs don't give you money to go and make acquisitions and as a private company pretty much everything you do has to be all cash, right? Because your stock is not liquid. As a public company, you can say, well, I'm going to pay part of it with stock and the stock you can go and sell it if you want, right? So uh, that allows you to use your stock as currency and grow faster. So acquisitions uh, are easier to accomplish as a public company than a private company. Interesting there as well, right? So with those, with that first acquisition, you obviously IPO so you can make acquisitions easier. Did you have somebody in mind when you decided you want to make acquisitions? 
No, not really. No, we, we, we knew that that was the strategy that we wanted to follow. And we knew that there are a lot of targets, but we didn't have anyone lined up until heading into the IPO. Obviously, a few months ahead of that, we started looking and we started lining up our first two acquisitions. We made them in, you know, uh, I forget the dates, but very shortly after going public because we had already thought about it and we had some, you know, that were that, that we were kind of like, okay, th- th- these could be good. When you picked those like, first couple companies, right, what made them stand out? Why was it those two in particular? Because I guess when you're making your first acquisition, it's probably quite a scary thing to do, right? Because you just IPO'd. What about if you make a the first acquisition you, you do, like flops, and then you've made a bad decision? Well, and, and very publicly so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, acquisitions are um, scary for sure, and going public is scary. All of those things are. Uh, the reason we picked those acquisitions, particular, actually, in fact, all of our acquisitions, we said, listen, we need to have margin of safety for any of these acquisitions because a lot of things can go wrong. And we want to make it so that a few things can go wrong and we're still okay. Right. So let me give you an idea. If at that point our revenue was 8 million and we made an acquisition that was like 6 million revenue, if that 6 million flopped and became like 2 million, that would completely sink us. Right. It would be too large for us to uh, stomach at that point. So size was relative to us was important. Um, So that's one margin of safety. The other margin of safety is that we said we don't want to make acquisitions of just technology companies. We want to make acquisitions of, by the way, there's a play there and we can talk about that. But in our case, we said we want revenue generating companies and we want profitable companies um, and we want them to all be, you know, serving the same audience as us and we don't want to overpay. So we paid anywhere from 1.1 time multiple of sales to 2.9 times even during the crazy days of 2021, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of people would at that point say, no, five to 10 times is more the norm and all that. Fair enough. But if we did that, we wouldn't have a margin of safety if something went wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times things go wrong, right? You, you have to bet on that. that. That was one part of it. The other part that I think really uh, helped us was we said, like, how do you make sure you make the right hiring decision? To me, the, the best indicator that you make the right hiring decision is how many people you interview, right? How many people do you have in your pipeline? It's the same for acquisitions. If you find one opportunity and you execute on that, and that's the only one you ever uh, you know, looked at, chance of going wrong is quite high. So we said we want to have this in our control. So similar to our sales methodology and outreach, we created the pipeline, found all the companies that could be target for us, you know, sending them emails, getting them on calls, like the whole CRM and, you know, methodology. We, we, I think we talked to like 400 companies before making the first four acquisitions. And, and uh, that's where you can actually say, okay, I want, I want several factors and don't have to compromise. And that was important to us. It would be interesting to see like the companies that were on the border zone, right? So let's say you acquired four of those 400 the ones that were the fifth to the 10th companies right on your list, what was it that made them just not quite right? Because obviously the, there's easy red flag drive, but what are the smaller ones, which may be more nuanced that some people might miss? Very good question. I'm trying to remember. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the, the biggest one is uh, that the expectations don't align, 
um, you know, and, and, and it's one that is easy to overlook, you know, uh, in our case, as a public company, sometimes it's easier if, if we were trading a five time multiple of sales, we couldn't pay more than five times. It wouldn't be an equity acquisition, right? Um, uh, shareholders would say, why did you do that? Like that wasn't a good trade for us. Um, but, but, you know, that a lot of times is the first thing. The second thing is looking at the financials of the company. You know, if the company is really struggling and really, you know, in the negative and all that, uh, and for us to say we're going to be turnaround artists and we're going to, you know, come in and do a lot better than them, uh, it a lot of times doesn't actually go well. Uh, so that's one that we're like, no, we actually want the company to do well. And, and the other one is, you know, you have to think whether the original founders and owners are going to want to come on board or not. And do you want them on board or not? Right. I'll give you one, one interesting M&A conversation we had. This, this was not the norm, but it was interesting. We show up to this M&A call and the founder is there. A few other people, you know, VC related and all that are there as well. I, I thought we we're just doing discovery. And then the first thing that the person says is, uh, tell me why, you know, convince me why we should work with you. I'm like, okay, like, you know, right off the bat, a little bit hostile. <laughs> and, you know, throughout the conversation was, that was a dynamic. And then later I found that, that he didn't want to do it. He was being forced, right? And uh, that is a huge red flag too, right? Like if the, if the founder is not willing and is not ready for it, just, you know, walk away. Like uh, a lot of things can go wrong. Let's say the founder does want to sell, right? So some people listening right now, Maybe they're building a company and they hope to get acquired someday. What are the things that they should be doing to make it easier for you? What were some of the things that maybe then you turn somebody down? So let's say they were really they were really enthusiastic, but they just didn't have something quite up to scratch. Even if the financial is good, what were the other red flags you looked out for? Financials need to be good. Um, product needs to be good. Um, I, I think to be honest with you, what I see a lot of times go wrong is the financials though. Like there are a lot of companies that their product is interesting and all that, but uh, financials just don't add up um, and it's very negative. And I see some founders where they're, they're trying to get the product right, but they're not really good at marketing and sales. And that's okay. A lot of times that's the reason that actually there's an acquisition opportunity for us, but it needs to be enough to be interesting and, and kind of, you know, have passed the test of time and, you know, all of that to say, okay, this can work for us. Other things obviously are presence and marketing, quality of the product, uh, reviews, you know, those kind of things. Not, not having overly complicated things, things that would scale. And one of the questions that I ask myself is, if this founder does not continue, and that's an important one, actually. If this founder does not continue because, you know, they want to start something new. A lot of times that's actually the reason that uh, there is an opportunity for us. You know, some of the acquisitions we made, the founders wanted to get into, you know, building startups related to crypto. And whether that worked out well or not, you know, with the crypto innovations, I don't, you know, I don't want to comment on that. But that was the reason. So we knew that we couldn't count on the founders after the acquisition. So then that means that, you know, the red flag would have been if the company would not survive unless they're there all the time, right? So you want as much as possible, you want companies where they don't depend on the founder like that, 
the founder is there, it's helpful, but the business is uh, like for example, you know, at some point we um, we thought about acquiring marketing agencies, and then what we found was that it's, it's hairy for a lot of reasons. One of the primary reasons is that revenue is not as sticky and you know all that, but a lot of them are dependent on the owner. The relationships are tied to the owner. The owner goes, everything disappears, and, and you don't want that kind of business. You want it to be an, a business, not a consultant. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the episode so far. If you want to find some of the best lessons from season one of this podcast, then you can download our free ebook using the link in the show notes. You'll also get updates multiple times a week from our editors here at Entrepreneur's Handbook, all aimed at helping you become a better entrepreneur and helping you to grow and scale your business. Let's get back to the show. I think what's interesting, what, something you said earlier too about the is humility, right? Of where sometimes I think a lot of people can go and think, oh, I can do a better job than them, right? And Oh man, yeah, we made that mistake, by the way. But like you said, you had that humility to say, if the business isn't doing well, we're not magicians, right? We can't necessarily save it. It needs to be doing well by itself first. And then it's easier for you to use different things that work out together with your experience and your other things in your portfolio. Was there anything almost that surprised you in the positive way, where you acquired a company and it worked out even better than you thought it would? And what were the reasons why it worked out even better? There are a few cases. One, you know, the, you know, the negative case I'll talk about and then I'll talk about the positive case. The negative case, you know, we saw actually, you know, that teaches you humility as well. Is that it's easy for us to say, you know, we're bigger than the company we're acquiring, we're better at marketing and sales and this and that. And, you know, in a couple of cases, we were too quick to make changes to them uh, to try to do better. And then that actually completely hurt them. And then we were like, oh, shit, you know, revenue is going down, you know, this is going down. And, and there's a lot of things that make a business work that if you don't truly understand and you haven't been in it for a while, you're going to get wrong. And and then we learned, you know, we have to patiently study it, let it run kind of the way it was running, add things to it as opposed to changing things and not not let it, uh, not, not, you know, uh, not let ourselves get carried away. On the positive side of it, for example, one of the acquisitions we made was Persist IQ, uh, YC co- uh, company, Y Combinator company, uh, Silicon Valley, and uh, amazing company. Um, you know, uh, if you're familiar with Sales Loft and Outreach and those uh, kind of out- outreach campaign companies, similar space, been in that space for a while. Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of different brands, and we just got lucky that. Uh, the original founders uh, created a spin-off and raised money for that through VC. And, uh, and when we saw that there's an opportunity, I reached out to the uh, one of the founders and we were able to do a deal. And that one worked a lot better than we expected. Um, and, and I think in that case, we actually put one of our our leaders as the general manager. So he knew the playbook within Wishbond and uh, he could immediately go and do the same things that helped us scale there and it worked quite well and he did a fantastic job of that um so it actually grew even faster than it was growing before the acquisition by a large market you mentioned their playbook that um wishpoint has as well has like now when you're doing more acquisitions in the future potentially do you think there's something a method which you use which makes it a lot easier that you wish you had for this first two as well for sure for sure for example sales playbook you know that's one of them obviously there's technology integration there's a lot of different things but the sales playbook in our case of 
you know, building these specific packages of certain size, uh, setting up the SDR side, the email campaigns, the SDR side, the account executives, the incentives, and, and, and you know, rolling that out is something that uh, we've seen work quite well in the case of Wishbone and, and Persis IQ and, you know, Brax, ad management company that we acquired. And then at some point, um, the general manager of Brax was our VP sales and marketing before I asked him. His name is Kevin Ho, awesome guy. Uh, I said, Kevin, can you actually write this down? Because we need the playbook. Uh, we don't want the next general manager of a company that we acquire to have to try to figure it out from scratch. Um, we want to, you know, as much as possible, give them a, a, a good chance of doing this successfully and not spin the wheels. Um, that, that has been very helpful. Are you continuing to look at further acquisitions or how do you know when's the right time to look at more versus when's the time to consolidate? Uh, well, sometimes it's easy. You know, uh, the, right now our cash position is good for carrying operations. We're, you know, cash flow positive now. Uh, but it's not uh, so good that we can freely go and make acquisitions. And the stock market and capital markets right now are a little bit you know, closed. So it wouldn't make sense for us to go raise money to do more acquisitions. So right now we're kind of forced to you know, uh, head down, focus on consolidation, focus on you know, getting the most out of them. Um, and when the stock market is better, the value you know, of our stock is better, then you know, we can make you know, we can raise money and do acquisitions. Obviously, right now we can raise debt to do acquisitions, but, you know, you would have to be even that much more certain of the outcomes. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you're an entrepreneur just getting started or earlier days, I think one of the things that is quite interesting is that most people don't think of acquisitions as a viable option for them. You know, it's the kind of thing that you think, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars acquisitions and all that. And the reality is that these days there are a lot of small um, opportunities available. You know, for example, MicroAcquire is a really good marketplace. There's a few of them, but MicroAcquire does a good job. And there are companies that are as small as, you know, pre-revenue, some early revenue. You can acquire them for tens of thousands of dollars, some of them. And if, you know, especially if you're starting and you're like, well, how do I not spend five, 10 years that it has taken for the product to mature and, 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 and go and inherit an existing product and some customer attraction and then build on top of that or add that to more product? I would say, yeah, look at MicroAcquire, look at some of those uh, things. Uh, some of them are a lot more affordable than you might imagine, and, and they could they could help save you several years, uh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's interesting thing, because some people listening right now who maybe they worked at one of the big companies, whether Meta or Google, and they've got some capital there. And like you said, they could build something from scratch, work on a side hustle for three years on top of their job, or they could use that capital they have and buy a product and massively increase their um, ability to get to market and to move on that as well. And you said that you didn't start the acquisitions until like later on in your journey. Did you ever wish that maybe you did some of those micro acquisitions earlier on? Yeah, so, sometimes. Yeah, so, sometimes I do think that. I, so, so let me put it this way. I have no plan to you know get out of Wishbone. With that disclaimer, if I do the mental exercise of, well, let's say Wishbone exits and 
I want to start something new. I think in that case, I think, yeah, you know, doing acquisitions earlier would make sense because again, a lot of times that product maturity and all that takes a long time. And if I can buy that time and help the company with marketing and sales and distribution and get off the ground, that would be fantastic. That would save, um, that would save me, you know, again, several years of heartache uh and can and can get something going faster and then you can you have something to build on uh sometimes it's possible sometimes it's not but but i think uh, definitely it is something that i would consider seriously and like you said there's now platforms like micro acquire which makes that a lot easier than it was before and maybe when you first started because it was like back in 2009 right those platforms didn't necessarily exist to be able to find people easily right so now i guess there's a different game where if you wanted to find the company to acquire you just be searching. You can have, there's lots of these people on Twitter, like Andrew is the guy behind uh, Micro Acquire. I really appreciate what he's done because especially with people building bootstrap businesses as well, right? Because then they can build a business to a decent level knowing that they've got potential exit. Whereas if you need to build it all the way, for a lot of people, they might not have the cash flow to keep pumping money in until they get to revenue. But you can build a product which somebody else could then take who does have the money and does have the capital and they can go a lot further with it. I think it's all about understanding, like you said, about where you are in your journey and what's best for you. Because some people are obviously time rich and some people are time poor. But if you're time poor and you've got the capital, then why not speed it up? That's right. That's right. And, and, and also, I think the other part of it also is that if you're an entrepreneur that you put a lot of time and you're like, you know, and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs like that, obviously, uh, that like, OK, it seems to be we seem to be at the end of this, like, you know, it's not really picking up the way we want it. And what do we do next? And they're ready to fold. I would say before folding, consider putting your startup on micro acquire, even if it's pre-revenue, it might be valuable to someone and you might be able to get something out of it. And um, it's interesting now as well, like I said, because these options are available, which like a year ago, I didn't know about these things, right? So it's just great to see all these new options come again. And is hopefully very educational people listening to see this is what's possible as well. And like looking at like Wishpond now, right? What is your plan for the future? They said you're probably going to hold back on the acquisitions for a little while now. But what's the vision there? What's what are you building? Well, what what we're building high level of it is that basically you you look at large companies and you you know, talk to their CMOs and say how how do you market yourself? And they say we use like these seven or eight different marketing tools for different purposes and then we have our marketing professionals and you know we use agencies and all of that and where i see the gap and and that's the one that wishbone goes after is that small businesses when you ask them because they're so busy running their own business and they're not marketing professionals and they don't have a lot of financial resources a lot of times they're searching for silver bullets and there is none right there's only a thousand lead bullets uh i think i read that in the book uh uh, hard thing about hard things, uh, uh, and and that really stuck with me. There's no silver bullets; there are only a thousand lead bullets. The same with marketing. So, well, in that case, if you need to use several different marketing tools and tactics, and they need to feed into each other, that's where Wishpond comes in. That is all in one. It gives you all the tools that you need. But not only that, because we are marketing professionals in the onboarding stage. In the first month, we actually set everything up for you. We use our copywriters, our, our designers, our marketing specialists, so that when we hand off the machinery to you for attracting, nurturing, getting referrals, managing your leads, sending outbound campaigns, all of that is set up for you and you have best chance of success. And 
that's something that I, I really think fundamentally can democratize uh, online marketing. And I think the next stage, a lot of it will go back to AI automation as well. A lot of things that in the past you needed to use, you know, you know, have a copywriter and have an ad specialist and have, um, you know, um, you know, all of these uh, resources, you know, to write your newsletter and so forth. Now AI can do that for you and integrating that into the platform. Like we rolled out an AI powered website builder. Um, that within 20 seconds, it builds your website, all the texts, all the images, everything is uh, done with AI. Those are the things that I think in the future are going to make a huge impact as well. What are you most excited about yourself, like on a personal level, looking at the future of the business? I, I think um, what I'm most excited about is the potential that we have here to help entrepreneurs be more successful in the area of marketing and sales. Because honestly, similar to the M&A conversation we just had uh, today, a lot of times People have really good products and services, but when it comes to marketing themselves and getting the word out, that's where a lot of people struggle and um, and, and makes sense that they struggle because they're competing with, you know, the best funded, most knowledgeable, skilled marketers. And that's you know, that makes me excited to be able to give them a fighting chance and give them everything they need to succeed and make it affordable for them. That That is very exciting to me. The other one that, you know, I definitely geek out about is anything AI, you know, you know, uh, after hours and late nights, I'm always uh, tinkering with uh, things related to AI to see how they can apply to our business and our clients' businesses. You've given some great advice today about acquisitions. If people listening right now, maybe they could help you with something. What would that be? What, what do you need help with? What do I need help with? Well, uh, we always, you know, we, we're always looking for good M&A opportunities. So, you know, if they're marketing and uh, sales platforms, point solutions. Uh, yeah, we're always interested in hearing about that. Other than that, you know, really, I think ultimately we just want to see entrepreneurs succeed. Um, uh, you know, uh, not, nothing nothing more than that. Thanks so much for coming on today, Ali. Where can people find out more about you, find out more about Wishbone? You can learn about Wishbone on wishbone.com. Um, you know, if you want to check out our AI website builder, you can go to wishbone.com slash AI. Our all-in-one product that we rolled out is called Propel IQ. You can go to propeliq.com or wishfund.com slash propeliq to to find out more or receive a demo. Perfect. So thanks so much for coming on. Any final words to the audience? No, no, I really appreciate uh, being here. Thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation.